And welcome into Mustache, the drinking podcast. Andrew and Quinn here as usual. It's a big week. We're ending the, we're hitting the end of our whiskey series. Wasn't as big of a hit as I thought it might be. Uh, apparently, Quinn, uh, people don't love the burn. <laughs> I guess not. Um, that's a little sad. But you know what? <laughs> Listen to the end of the episode, and we have something fun to to do next week. And I think you're going to be excited about what we're doing. I think everyone's going to be excited about what we're doing next week. It's going to be a big week, but we'll get to that at the end of the episode. We are jumping right into our last episode of the whiskey series. It's going to be on Japanese whiskey. And now Japanese whiskey is very interesting. Quinn and I did our, our parts for the research on this one. I read a website. Uh, interesting point to this is the Japanese whiskey makers back in the early 1900s when they were starting off starting off with building this empire that is Japanese whiskey today, they were trying to emulate scotch as much as they possibly could. They were trying to carbon copy the great scotch whiskey from Scotland and uh, Quinn, obviously you're not going to be able to get a carbon copy of what scotch does with the peatiness and the smokiness, but the flavor profile thereon is very much in the direction of your, your, of your fancy scotches. Yeah. Uh, they actually, even to this day, some distillers will still import barley that is smoked with peat from Scotland um, and others will import peat themselves to do that smoking and some will only use barley. Um, but there is a reason why uh, this whiskey is spelled the way it is without an E because it, it has so much in common with scotch. Exactly. The no E is very important here. And that is going to be a big thing throughout this is it's going to be, it's going to be a, a very close sister to Scotch. And I think that that plays into its enjoyedness throughout the, throughout the world and it being a little bit smaller overall until very recently. And, right. you know, that I played was, into something Quinn said. I was surprised in our research for this week. Uh, I thought Japanese whiskey has been around for on the market 30 years and been made for 40. No, it's been around since 1923. Um, so I was pretty surprised about that. Um, my timeline is about right for when it became popular as an export from Japan, but it took a long time for that to happen. Uh, even up until about 2000 for it to really start, you know, catching people's attention. Uh, one of the biggest things that I can say about Japanese whiskeys and how they differ from scotches is they'll lay a little bit more into the savory note of it. Um, the umami flavor, uh, it, it's the additional taste coined um, by Japanese chefs. It translates to taste good. And it, it's kind of how you describe like the, the meatiness of meat. Uh, that, that other flavor that isn't sour, it isn't sweet, it isn't quite savory. Um, and then also Japanese scotches tend to have a lot of floral notes to them. Uh, so they're fairly complex and they pay a lot of attention to flavor. How would you say that differs from a scotch? Uh, just a regular man's scotch, I would say. Um, so scotches, they definitely pay attention to flavor. Uh, but I think there's a little bit less of the subtle floral notes in scotch. And it doesn't quite lean as far to the umami side. Uh, granted, I'm making this statement based off of uh, one or two Japanese whiskeys I've tried and a analysis that I read in Forbes magazine doing research uh, for this episode. 
so I feel confident in saying that, but not to make a broad overstatement that every Japanese whiskey uh, tends to incorporate a lot of the umami flavor or more subtle floral notes. Uh, just with simply that. because I haven't gotten to try that many. Uh, hashtag no whiskey sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, with that point you're making Japanese whiskey is not cheap Um, I went out with the intention of finding a shooter and um, unfortunately no they don't and unfortunately came home with an entire bottle of whiskey um, that my roommates I'm not I'm a little disappointed I paid more than I wanted to pay for alcohol today but um, that's how life goes when we have a podcast about alcohol, I guess. <laughs> right. Um, so on that note, what are you drinking? Quinn, I am drinking a Suntory. Uh, the house of Suntory is one of the biggest Japanese whiskey, uh, makers. And I believe I have the, the Suntory. It is the original, the, the Suntory whiskey house, 1923. And I have their, um, basic just regular old japanese whiskey the centauri whiskey toki and toki means in japanese toki means time and uh, um i've had this before i believe one of my roommates last year uh was a big japanese whiskey fan whiskey fan in general so let's give it a little taste it's been in ice the ice has melted significantly which is something that i like to tone down the whiskeys a little bit um but let's see what I get. Uh, there is a different touches. So it's a clear, pretty much clear gold. Very, very, very light. Uh, in the nose, I'm supposed to get basil, green apple, and honey. So let's kind of see what this gives to us. So, you know, looking at this, it almost looks like a lighter tequila in that bottle than it does a whiskey. I I will say I have tried this one and I'll wait to give you my opinion until I get yours. So, so what do you, what do you smell? <clears throat> I definitely smell the green apple. And I think I get a little bit of the honey. I don't know quite know what I should be smelling for for basil, but I don't um my palate's not that refined, I would say, so I do not smell basil. And the tastes I should get are grapefruit, green grapes, peppermint, and thyme. (laughs) Okay, here. Now, we stocked this one at our bar, and I know it was one of our more popular Japanese whiskeys that we had. And I'd say, honestly, if I go to a bar and I see a Japanese whiskey, it's normally this one. And I looked on the shelf for a minute here, and um, this was one of the cheaper options, not the cheapest. Uh, but I picked it because I knew what it looked because I I recognized it. You know, the big name, big names will get their products bought because they're recognized. The Jamesons and, and types of the world. This is probably uh, the most recognizable bottle of Japanese whiskey. Um, <clears throat> so it's a sweet. Uh, it wasn't when before it had water in it, but. Um, before my ice melted, before the ice melted, it was very strong. You can taste that scotch finish. It's very interesting because it doesn't start like that, but the fit, the finish, you can, you get that taste of that smoke, that little bit of smokiness at the end, that true scotch flavor, but it's, it's predecessor on the tongue is a sweetness. And I think that's probably the grapefruits and the green and the green grapes, those kind of sweet, that sweet, uh, flavorful fruit kind of flavor that you get. Um, I don't taste the peppermint or the thyme, though. Did it have a little bit more to that herby taste What before it had been watered down? Do you think? I took a very small sip, and I don't remember. Okay. Would those fade away quickly? I wouldn't think so, but it's possible. If there's just too much water in there, they might not carry strong enough. Okay. Especially if they're super subtle in the whiskey itself. Um, but I mean, peppermint isn't one of those things that just disappears no. normally. No. In my mind. 
Um, it might be being overshadowed. I might be missing it because of the w- little bit of whiskey burn there is it is there that could be overtaking the peppermint. Um, and it finishes kind of like how it says, subtly sweet, a little bit of spicy, that little bit of burn at the end with a hint of vanilla oak, white pepper, and ginger. And I, I get that oaky, that oaky pepperness and a little bit of smoky. And again, my palate's just not refined enough to taste the ginger, I don't think. Um, but overall, drinking it straight, if you're a scotch lover, you are going to like this whiskey. You you might be a little dis- little disappointed, but it's going to be a little different than your regular scotch. Um, but if you're just coming into this, I don't know what you would mix this with, just like a scotch. You wouldn't really mix a scotch. But to water this down a bit and try it like that to take a little bit of that burn away, you're gonna get all the you're gonna get all the big flavors that they want you to get, and it's a good taste if you're a whiskey liker if you like whiskey. I completely agree. Um, I like it with a scotch and soda. Oh, okay. I would like that. Yeah. And so it'll bring out more of that like sweetness to it. It'll temper the the burn and the smokiness a bit um, and allow you to get to more of those flavors, um, especially because those bubbles that are coming up help to release a little bit more of its perfuminess. And we were just talking about uh, the originals and, you know, the two breasts known right now are Centauri and Nika. Uh, they both produce blended as well as single malt whiskeys. And you talk about your blended malt whiskeys. Their main blended whiskeys are being that Centauri, um, the one that I just tried, and the Black Nika Clear. So it's a it's kind of a thing, I think, in Japanese whiskey to have more clearer liquors. Um, they also do, you know, special bottlings and limited editions. It's just, a, it, I know it might not be viewed as a, regular whiskey that you can, you know, you just get because shipping it over here and importing it is not cheap. So the whiskey is a little bit more expensive, but this it's, it'll have all the things you're looking for in a whiskey will be in a Japanese whiskey somewhere. Right. And it's becoming a whole lot more popular. It's even, it went from being in that category of like whiskeys from around the world uh, about even 10 years ago to really creating its own category, uh, which is Japanese whiskey. And I think we're going to see more and more of them coming to the U S market and the North American market. Um, I can't really speak how available they are in Europe. I would assume a little bit more so than they are here, um, just because of shipping costs. But I think we're going to see an increase in its popularity and really see it define its own kind of category. Uh, That being said, I really hope that we start to see some really cool things that are unique about Japanese whiskey. Uh, Again, there may be these things. I'm not an expert on Japanese whiskey by any means. I'm kind of a late comer to it. Um, I I was a little put off originally when I tried it just because I thought of it as a scotch that wasn't quite scotchy. Um, but if you look at it as its own distinct thing, um, I think there's a lot to like there and a lot to really be excited for in the world of Japanese whiskey. And uh, from the beginning, you talk about that Centauri and the Nika building and, been, you know, going, going farther and further. And this was only 100 years ago. And you talk about Tori. He was the one... Uh, I'm going to butcher this Shinjiro Tori. He was the um, creator of Suntory and he was the uh, original and he hired a man named Masataka. I got that wrong too. Uh, Take Suru as his distillery executive. And this man studied the art of distilling in Scotland and brought his knowledge back to the, back to the Japan in the early twenties. Uh, he was working uh, together, and uh, he played a key part in helping Tori establish the Yamazaki Distillery. And in 1930, 1930- oof, <laughs> Yamazaki is so good. It is. And in 1934, he left uh, Kotobuki. Oh God, Kotobukiya, 
uh, and formed his own company, which I am not even going to try to pronounce. And that was that was made into Nika. So this one man <laughs> jumped ship twice and created, in essentially, the entire industry of Japanese whiskey. That uh, tip of the glass. That is him. insane. And yeah, that's. I mean, there's a whole industry that has him to thank, really. And uh, we look at over here, the first uh, Westerners to taste Japanese whiskey uh, were a for an ex uh, an expeditionary force in Serbia, and they were in uh, Hakodate in 1918, and uh, um. An American described it as Scotch whiskey made in Japan, exactly as kind of how it is. But that was before <laughs> the distillery. Event. So that was that was freehand. These small places that were making whiskey before they were, you know, set up and ready distilleries. That is kind of insane that they that these random, you know, Americans got to try this. Yeah, and I mean. The fact that even those little distilleries that were doing it were making a Scotch-style whiskey, I think that's a shout-out to how good Scotch is. Um, <laughs> but I – so I dropped the ball this week in a way on my uh, my drink choice. I'm drinking a beer. <laughs> Not even a Japanese beer. No, no. I'm drinking uh, Banshee Cutter by Insight. It's a coffee blonde ale, and it is one of my favorite coffee beers uh, because normally when you get a coffee beer, it's a dark porter, and you get a certain kind of taste of the coffee. It, it, it more tastes like brewed coffee than it would the bean. This one tastes like the bean. Uh, it is my, I say, second favorite coffee beer because I can't remember for the life of me what the other one I had like this was. <laughs> It was a blonde stout that didn't use any artificial flavoring and tasted like coffee beans and was just amazing. It was refreshing and it, it felt energizing and it was so good. Uh, this one is almost as good. They use the artificial flavors, which isn't a big deal, but I just don't think it tastes as good because of that. Um, that being said, it's still my second favorite, and I will never turn down a Banshee Cutter uh, when when I'm given the option. Uh, I actually used the uh, the Minnesota method of cooling my beer tonight. Uh, we got six inches of snow in the middle of October because <laughs> you know, <laughs> just lo I love it. I. How can you not love it? Uh, so I, I went outside and buried my can of beer in the snow uh, to try and cool it down a little bit faster because I neglected to put it in the fridge before Was it cold. It, I mean, it's chilled. Ah. It's not cold, but I put it in a glass I threw in the freezer as well. So that's helping. And this is a beer that I'll drink it warm and I still enjoy it. Gross. Oh, God. That sounds um, so bad. <laughs> Oh, but it's just such a good mm. beer. It, by no means is it better warm, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's still good. Oh my god, Quinn! Well, let, let us let so us. drinking it. Crack her it, up. It tastes like good ale. You get the the grain flavor at the end, uh, kind of right after the coffee finish. So it mixes into the grain and really makes it a little bit more complex. Oh, it's just so good. Go go buy a six Bing pack of cutter. these. They they are worth it. Um, Insight, I give them the title of being the brewery that doesn't make a single beer I dislike. I'm not a big IPA fan. I dislike almost every single one I've tried. I don't remember the name of Insight's IPA or their IPAs. Because uh, at this point, I believe they have a couple. But they are all delicious. Uh, we would frequently do special menus crafted around Insight Beer uh, at our uh, restaurant because we would release like their special barrels. 
and we would be one of the first bars in the area to get them. And we'd throw a like uh, tapping party at the bar for them and have foods that pair with them. And they're, they're just, it's such a good beer. It's, I can't stress how good insight is. Quinn, what are the, what is the flavor to it? So has definite coffee flavor. Um, strong grain finish. I don't know what grain it is that they use for this beer. I almost want to say it's a wheat. I don't think that's right. Um, looking up here to try and find that for you. But it's super creamy. Uh, it has a nice head. And it, I love the way the crisp coffee finish mixes with the grain flavor and it just has a, a really nice crispness at the end of it. It sounds delicious. I definitely have to <clears throat> go get a case for myself and uh, moving to America. Quinn, I totally forgot that you had had that beer already. It's been a long day. I drove in the six inches of snow today for an hour, so my brains must be a little bit uh, a little bit Oof. fried from the stress of gripping the steering wheel and people in Minnesota driving around me because you know they don't know how to drive. <laughs> and uh, um, I, I just and also we we have a, a way of driving in the winter in this state where we just oh there's four feet of snow. All right, I'll plan for an extra five minutes on my drive. <laughs> Now it's everyone else's problem that I left five minutes early instead of 25 minutes early. And now I'm going to be late. <laughs> and uh, Japanese whiskey in the U S it was not even just the U S in Europe and all over the world, 2000. So 20 years ago, they won in 2001. It must be right at the end of the year of 2000, but Nikita's 10 year, Yoichi Single Malt won the best of the best at Japanese Whiskey Magazine's awards. And that leads us right into the 15 whiskeys that you can actually find. Because Japanese whiskey can be expensive, Quinn. Yes, it can. Yes, it <laughs> like, can. Oh my god, expensive. <laughs> Like even the cheap bottles are not cheap compared to a lot of different types. You're, you're definitely going to find a cheaper Irish, a cheaper Scotch, uh, definitely a cheaper bourbon and Canadian whiskey here in not the U S than you oh ever my God, will. It's not even close. No, it double the price sometimes. At uh, least. Like, so this list is from vine pair. And like we said, it's the 15 best whiskeys you can find um, in North America at any price. And the first category we're going to start with is under $50. And the one you're drinking today, the Centauri Toki, is listed as the first one in this category. Uh, it's a light blend of whiskeys from three different distilleries. It's comprised of malt whiskey and two other malt whiskeys from Yamazaki, uh, aged in American oak and Spanish oak. And it's described as having a bright citrusy flavor, a little bit thin, and a perfect whiskey to drink on the rocks or in a highball. Well, uh, which I think kind of goes hand in hand with how you described, you know, you're enjoying it tonight. Yeah, a little bit thin is pretty much right on the on the money. It's it's more like water in its consistency than a whiskey. Uh, next up, we have Iway Tradition. Uh, this is a blended Japanese whiskey 
um, from Mars Sinsu Distillery. And it's actually located really high up at 2,600 feet above sea level. And this is made as a blended malt whiskey uh, with one quarter of grain whiskey. Uh, it's aged in bourbon, sherry, and wine casks. Uh, it's described as a serviceable sipping whiskey with cherry and chocolate malt notes. Uh, but it's most prominently preferred in cocktail mixing. So next up, we have the under $100 category. So immediately we're, we're jumping up there in price. Uh, so this is over 50 and under 100. Uh, we have Hibiki Harmony. Uh, this is blended from the prestigious Hibiki lineup. It's a replacement for the Hibiki 12, which has now been discontinued. Uh, this is blended from malt and grain whiskey from three of their distilleries. It's described as a sweet and rich caramel note with vanilla uh, that will coat your palate and has a long-lasting flavor with a smooth finish. I definitely think that I would enjoy this one. <clears throat> this one sounds mm -hmm. delicious. Uh, it's listed here on this site at $65 a bottle. So we're already up to about the price I spent on LaFroig. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, so it's only up from here. Uh, next up, we have uh, Nikita Whiskey. This is the Nikita from the barrel. This is a 500 mil bottle. So again, half oh, liter. Uh, it's bold flavor and packs a punch uh, well above its weight class as it blends more than a hundred different malt and grain whiskeys. All of them aged in a variety of different casks. That's what? What? Wow. <laughs> That's a lot. Wow. Interesting. Um, it doesn't give me any flavor notes on this other than it sips smoothly and you can't really pin down any single malt flavor to it. So this just sounds like it's so complex. And if you look at it, uh, I don't know if it's just a trick with lighting or whatever, but this is a gold to like amber colored whiskey. It looks pretty incredible. And at $65 for a half liter. <laughs> Good fucking God. We, we are now at about the price of my special scotch um, that we talked about in our first whiskey episode. Jesus. Uh, this is... Oh, boy. If I found this correctly... I want to try If that. I found this correctly, Quinn... It's caramel, vanilla, spicy, and oak. Wow, that I really want to try this. This is an expensive bottle. <laughs> yeah, we we may have to put together a podcast fund and split a bottle. We each get two hundred and fifty oh milliliters God. of it. That's so little. That's so little. <laughs> I know. Oh boy, we get two to three drinks out of it. <laughs> is that enough? <laughs> uh, next up is a, <laughs> right? We're going to drink it and then go, oh, I'm going to buy another. That's how they get you. <laughs> that's, that's, I understand now why they, they put it in this size bottle because you're going to go back I and buy another. I spent $300 on whiskey this month. <laughs> <laughs> next up, we have another Nikita whiskey. Uh, this is the Nikita Kofi grain. Uh, so I'm just going to read this one verbatim as it's described here on Vine Pear. The name of the Nikita spirit may confuse some expecting a jolt of caffeine. Kofi in question refers to Anes Kofi, uh, invented, who invented a more efficient column still 
in the early 19th century. This grain whiskey will appeal to bourbon lovers with its buttery notes of caramel and vanilla that pop with each sip. The main grain here is corn and is distilled uh, in its namesake still. So this is a more bourbon style Japanese whiskey. I definitely thought it was going to taste like uh, coffee. <laughs> oh, I, I thought so too. But no, it's named for um, who invented the column still, which we discussed briefly last week on our Canadian whiskey episode. Um, a lot of Canadian whiskeys actually use column stills, uh, which aren't necessarily as popular or common in the broad whiskey world, to my understanding, and especially not in the Irish and Scotch world. Um, next, we have another Nikita whiskey. Uh, so I, I get the feeling here that Nikita is probably the brand to try if you're looking for your first Japanese whiskey and want to be impressed. Um, but this is uh, the Nikita Kofe malt whiskey. Uh, so this one is, again, more towards the scotch side as it has vibrant citrus notes and it finishes with a whisper of smoke. The list price on this one, uh, according to the site, is $75 a bottle. My favorite part of that is a whisper of smoke. That's how they described it, a whisper. I don't, I don't know who wrote that, but give them a raise. Oh, I think that is the best description for like a lightly smoked. Because, for instance, my Lafroig, I describe as walking through a burning building, smoke-wise. <laughs> Whereas... God damn it. <laughs> Uh, the, the Yamazaki 12, which I've tried, I would describe that as having more of a whisper of smoke, um, comparatively, and especially the, uh, Centauri that we originally spoke about. That is just a whisper of smoke, uh, but that is some good word use props to you, whoever wrote this article. <laughs> uh, so next up we have the Yoki, uh, whiskey. This is a single malt, which comes from the Yoki Distillery, uh, again, owned by Nika. Uh, this has an, a bold but not overpowering level of peat to it, dried fruit notes, uh, and spice notes to it. It also can be described as having a bit of a brininess on the palate, um, which in this article, they ascribe to the distillery's warehouse being located near the sea so that uh, seawater that would get into the air would allow it to kind of rehydrate and get absorbed into those casks, eventually infusing into uh, whatever is being aged in them, which would make sense. Uh, I think that it's really cool how much location plays a part in the flavor of something. Just, just a touch of brine. Just, you can taste like if you walked by fish guts, like that's, that might be it. <laughs> well, that's, that's, oh, that's not brine. <laughs> I love that it says, but our tasters didn't pick up on the brine. Like you have to be a, you have to be an extra seam. <laughs> the brine in this whiskey. <laughs> oh goddammit! Um, next up we have the Miyagikyo. This is an NAS single malt, which hails from another of Nika's modern facilities. Uh, this is a peated malt scotch style whiskey, uh, and it has an unusual mixture of sherry, bourbon, and other cask types used in its maturation, uh, resulting in a fairly complex tasting flavor. This one has a list price of $80 a bottle. 
And finally, we get to Yamazaki 12. Uh, this used to be the whiskey that people would associate with Japanese whiskey. Uh, honestly, it's still the one that's first in my mind. Um, but as other whiskeys have started to show up, this one has dwindled a little bit in popularity. Could you imagine a 12-year um, entry? And that's crazy, Quinn. Yeah. Uh, this one, again, uses a variety of different woods uh, in their casks for the aging process. They actually use the Mizanara uh, oak, which is a Japanese oak. And you get notes of tropical fruit and dry spices on the palate. And then the next one we have is another whiskey that I have tried, but honestly, for the life of me, can't remember the flavor of it. Uh, that That's not anything against it. It's just, I tried it a long time ago and I don't think I was as much of a whiskey liker when I had tried it. So it, it wasn't something that really caught my attention. Um, this is from, this is the Hakushu 12. Uh, this is a sister distillery to Yamazaki and it has a light smokiness and is described as having crisp apple and pear notes. There was a report that they were temporarily discontinuing this in certain markets, uh, but limited qualities quantities are still available here in the U.S. Uh, as of the publishing of this article. Uh, this is another one that we stocked at our bar and I think was a little bit more popular than the Yamazaki. And this has a list price similar to the Yamazaki 12 of $85 a bottle. $85. Jesus. So the these next ones get a get a bit pricey. No. We're looking at under two hundred dollars a bottle. Uh, we have the Akashi single malt. This is a whiskey that did not begin in earnest until the nineteen eighties. It's a single malt aged between four and seven years in a combination of sherry, bourbon, brandy, and X sochu barrels uh, with a list price of $110, uh, which again, we're not talking anything insane in the price of whiskeys. We, we covered some scotches that were 20 to 30 times <laughs> this price. So we're not quite at the arm and a leg price for some of us. <laughs> oh, oh, for sure. Like I can't afford to buy that bottle. There, there's a reason I didn't buy Japanese whiskey this week and I'm drinking beer is we just paid for a wedding. And uh, for those of you who aren't aware, weddings are expensive and I need to get in on that wedding money action because holy crap, Everyone charges so much. Quinn the and our wedding was by Quinn wedding. the wedding chef. I can see it. I mean, I have thought about opening a catering company, uh, but I, I would need to rent out kitchen space, unless I wanted to use a uh, farm you to could... table <laughs> farmhouse laws. Quinn cooking a meal for 150 in his small apartment kitchen. <laughs> I mean, I've actually, I've, so I've cooked a meal out of my kitchen for 60 and I cooked a meal for 70 out of a similar sized one. Uh, but that's, I was going to say, that's gotta be like, not a good, it's a whole bunch of hell. It's a whole bunch of hell. Lay out these six pans of chicken on the couch and I'll get to those. The problem is you're not that far <laughs> off and there's not a whole lot of fridge space in a normal fridge when you're cooking for those many people. No. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> uh, so next up we have the Hakushu 18. 
This is arguably one of the finest from the Centauri brand. It's an 18-year-old scotch with subtle smoke, crispy, and fruit notes. Uh, similar to its 12-year-old. However, it transforms into a much more well-rounded and mature whiskey with the additional six years of aging that they do. And next up, we have one that I really want to try, but I'm not paying the price, is the Yamazaki 18. Uh, this is an 18-year-old scotch, and it brings mature flavors uh, with a dark amber color with fruit notes of berry, raisin, and apricot. Uh, this is in part due to its long aging time in sherry casks uh, during its maturation process. That sounds delicious to me. I've noticed something in our research. I, I'm a sucker for things aged in sherry casks. Exactly what you're saying. I've noticed something in our research this week is that Japanese whiskey, specifically fine and higher class Japanese whiskey, almost always goes after that cherry cask uh, ending of their aging to get that sweetness in there. You'll see that in a lot of really good yeah. whiskeys um, that they'll finish in a sherry cask. And there's good reason for that. I would love it if I could find a whiskey that instead of finishing in a sherry cask, used a mead cask. Uh, granted, not a whole lot of meads are cask aged, but I've done it myself and they are delicious. And I've also run a whiskey through that cask afterwards. Best whiskey I've had. And which is only partially because I aged it myself. So it was my baby. <laughs> this tastes better because I made it with my own hands. <laughs> of course. It, something you cook for yourself or you make yourself will always taste better. So long as you don't, burn it or do something terrible to like it. try to cook it exactly thank you quinn <laughs> uh finally the last one on our list again at the 250 dollars range so up there in price but we're not talking anything really that much more ridiculous than another 21 year old scotch uh this is the habiki 21 so it's considered a unicorn bottle because it's really hard to find and because of the price. It has rich sherry notes with a touch of smoke in the background. It avoids a lot of the pitfalls of overaging, like too much mouthfeel from too many tannins or an overwoodied flavor. It, it sounds like it's a pretty pretty good one uh it has an almost honey-like color in one of the most beautiful bottles i have seen uh hashtag habiki not a sponsor hashtag do you want if you ever one? listen to this podcast Please. in your entire life <laughs> you're never going to and i probably butchered your name so you never want <laughs> oh it's a story I don't speak Japanese and I'm not, I'm not great at pronouncing oh Japanese words. Oh, please sponsor us. We'll please, beg. any of you. Yamazaki, looking at you. Quinn, 250 would be you stealing this bottle off the shelf, beating up the clerk, and then getting away from the police. That's how much more expensive this bottle actually is. Did we get through all the tasting notes? Okay, I want uh, you to be fully aware that there are multiple websites uh, on the internet that are telling me they ship to, why is that in Germany? They ship to the U S um, specifically to Minnesota. <clears throat> Quinn, I'd like you to guess how much this Habiki 21 actually costs. Keep going. Six fifty. You're now you're too high. So you, you jumped a little bit too high. Okay. I feel <laughs> a little bit better. But not any better. I actually a lot. This worse. is a seven hundred to well north of that bottle of whiskey, and of all of the whiskeys in the world, this one might be close to worth it. This sounds so good. 
so good. Oh, this is what you phenomenal. talked about. This is the wedding bottle right here. This is the this is the big mo- that you, you get married, your first kid, you know, that this that's this bottle. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, this is a bottle that's with you mm-hmm. for life. Also, it doesn't hurt that the bottle oh, it's gorgeous. is beautiful. When it when it said unicorn, I'm a sucker for that rounded like a little bit squared sides. Oh, God, it's I'm a big fan. I am a I am a big fan of all of this. I would buy this bottle if I was rich. Well, here's hoping one that we both somehow someday <laughs> become rich and two that Japanese whiskeys get more popular so we can start seeing their price point drop a little bit more and seeing more of them coming into the American market so that we can actually afford to enjoy these. I 100% agree in the future. Let's hope somebody finds this episode and goes, why are they talking about this bottle of cheap ass Hibiki 2021? I got it for a hundred bucks. What do you mean? And it's gone all the way down. (laughs) (laughs) Yamazaki 12 is a $30, well, $60 bottle. And we're all enjoying delicious Japanese whiskey. And with that, Quinn, this comes to the end of our whiskey series. We are sorry if you didn't like it. Does that mean... Does that mean we get to announce what we're doing next week? We get to announce what we are doing next week. So next week is a special episode. Uh, It's actually going to be a watch-along. We will be watching how beer saved the world uh this is available for free on vimeo i'm not going to post a link you're gonna have to find it yourself um however you can also buy it on amazon or through the history channel it is i've watched this before years ago it's a little (laughs) bit insane um they credit whiskey for we'll just touch on two of the like thousand things they sorry they credit beer uh for we'll just touch on two of the thousand things they say uh it's responsible for numbers (laughs) and also responsible for the introduction of currency um as well as we'll we'll do one more beer was responsible for agriculture and farming uh this is a pretty intense documentary and is entertaining as hell. Um, be careful when you're searching. There is a version of it on YouTube also titled how beer saved the world, which is not this documentary. Um, and also makes a lot of ridiculous claims, but isn't nearly as entertaining, uh, because it, it's not a formerly historical history channel documentary. Do you remember back when the I don't History think I'm Channel old enough actually talked to know. about History? The History Channel actually talked about History. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. Um, so get ready next week. It's going to be an entertaining one. Uh, we recommend you can either listen to it along with watching through that documentary because we'll be watching it live um, on the podcast or listen to it without you're you're going to be entertained because there's some ridiculous things being said and i i think it it's going to make for a, a fun night especially with you know <laughs> maybe a quinn and i will uh zoom this and we can post it somewhere where you can watch us watch it <laughs> oh that would be great <laughs> I have oh, God, I have office. to clean the upstairs nook, which is my desk is at, because I don't have a room for mine. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Quinn, with that, that brings us to the end of Whiskey, the end of this episode, and we move on to how beer saved the world. And that should roll into a couple beer episodes, so expect to have some guests on in the coming weeks here. Yeah. It almost, you could almost say it'll be a mini beeries. Never mind. Uh, Quinn, I think I'm done doing the podcast. I don't think I can continue <laughs> after that.
Oh, puns have ruined everything. <laughs> um, a couple last things we're going to hit on here. Um, the election is coming up. Please make sure to go out and vote. Uh, that is your one one duty as an American. Go vote. Please go out and vote. Uh, we don't want to hear anything else about it. I'm just telling you, you should go vote. Yeah, Quinn, I think, fully agrees with that. Yep. It's super. You can vote early, um, at least in Minnesota. Uh, voting early is still available. You can go to our state website and find out the nearest uh, place you can go vote today so you can mitigate any risk of the coronavirus or mail-in ballots, though it's getting a little bit late to do that. Um, I believe the deadlines have passed in many places for mail-in ballots. Uh, but go vote. We won't tell you who to vote for. Um, make up your own mind, but do research and go vote. <laughs> Just vote. Fucking go vote. vote. And uh, as we're ending every, every episode with, if you're having trouble with alcoholism, uh, anything, and you realize that uh, you're getting to a point where you can't control it, uh, definitely go get some help. Uh, you can call into the helpline that I'm going to give you in a second, or you can, you know, you can go find some help at an AA. You can do a number of different things, um, but it is never a bad time to get help if you think you've gotten to a point or a loved one has gotten to a point where uh, drinking has taken over their life. Alcohol is fun until it's not. And you can definitely call, um, we have different numbers, but we'll do this one this week. It's 1-800-662-HELP. That's 1-800-662-HELP. And I believe that 4357 would be that actual number. But again, thank you so much for listening to the episode. Quinn and I are so glad to bring this to you and we'll move in right into beer next week.